Hello, listeners. Welcome back to um, King of the North Wood, Episode 3. Mayor Valk had successfully masked his appearance as he entered the village of Bloody Tunic. It was not that difficult for him to do. Burying his rings and necklaces and gold combs, flattening his telltale hair, trading his rich garments with the rags of a corpse. He had his eyes peeled for the one man, the threat who, who was among those recruited to be sent to this village, the man who single-handedly destroyed Bloody Dagger. Welcome, Pilgrim. The mayor spun around, confronting a young woman with amber locks cascading over her shoulders, a beauty with a curious, disarming smirk. What brings you to the home of our brave, curious god? Mayor Volk grumbled something, then turned away. Immediately, the teen stuck out her hand and caught the man by the wrist. Why have you come to this village? asked the woman, her intense eyes searching. I don't know what you mean, replied Volk. I am here. I was drawn here like everyone else who has wanted to enter the village of Bloody Tunic. No one can successfully lie to the one mother, insisted Celeste. She did not look hostile, only mirthful and amicable. I am a good liar. I lie to myself. All the time. It takes a liar to know a liar. Celeste grappled the mayor's hand. I have some idea why you are here, the female insisted. Here, come with me. And Celeste took Mayor Volk through the heart of the village. Having passed among devout monks and praying pilgrims, at length the pair arrived at a house, a house where sins were boasted of and blasphemies promoted the house where the fourteen persons from Bloody Dagger had taken up residence. Here you are, the people you have somehow thrust upon us. I am looking for one man in particular, insisted the mayor. Oh, I know, replied Celeste. He likes to mask himself, but he is really not that good at it. See you for yourself, she pointed. Mayor Volk watched as an inebriated female clumsily shook hands with a perplexed pair of mystics. Apparently having lost a bet, they humbly returned over to her a cask of ale. What am I looking at? queried the mayor. Hold that thought, answered the one mother. Hold that thought. The woman teetered and toddled, throwing the sloshing barrel over and rolling it. She jerked her head one way, then another. Pushing the barrel, she quickly and quietly separated herself from scrutinizing eyes. What is she up to, pondered the perplexed mayor. Come with me. Everything will be revealed to you, soon enough. Celeste gently ushered the mayor into a neighboring house, still smelling of sawdust. The pair approached a window, a window in full view of where the drunk woman had seated herself, in close proximity to the keg of ale. The pair wedged themselves on the sill. Mayor Volk blinked and immediately his jaw dropped. Where is she? The one mother Celeste saw not, said nothing, only sat silently beside him as a man, the woman no longer in view, tapped the keg with a mallet. Is that? Celeste nodded. The man who killed all of Bloody Dagger? The man who could kill all my own village? If given an excuse? Yes, it is. I will kill the man, growled Mayor Volk, jumping to his feet. No, the woman intervened strongly. What? Why not? He is a monster. 
Celeste shook her head. No, I cannot let him be a, I cannot let him be slain. At least not yet. My God tells me he must be spared. Well, in a riddle which could mean any number of things, as you well know. I believe he must live, for now. Why? We know who he is. Come tomorrow we may not. And should he leave this village, newly disguised, the threat is real that we might not find him ever again. This may be our only opportunity. No, Celeste shook her head. I know the threat he poses. Certainly I could have killed him. I have thought long and hard about eliminating this danger. But in the end, it is a test for me and for you. A test God has put before us. Apparently I passed this test because now God speaks to me. Tells me who in fact he is. Well, I don't believe in any God. This man must die right now. There, Celeste pointed. Look at who approaches. The two sat watching as the boy with the knit cap and red mittens engaged the man. Is that... Celeste nodded. The king of the Northwood? Yes, yes it is. I never thought I would ever see the boy, the mayor said evenly. I always felt I was unworthy, that for reasons of his own he avoided me. It wasn't all him, I assure you, said the one mother, stroking the man's arm gently, assuring him. Certainly the forest has had a say in shielding the boy. Yes, it is true. The forest has protected him these millennia. No one among the eight has once seen him, though he has lived since before most of the elders were born. No, they may have seen him, a secret like any, any secret they may hold close to them. The drunken man chuckled at something the boy said. He clumsily patted him on the head through the knit cap. It's all a matter of trust, the teen Celeste persuaded the man. You want the boy's trust. He has the world to offer, but he deceives you. You trust the boy enough, and he will take from you the most dangerous of thieves. Do you know, of the three kings he is said to have killed, he acknowledges he is responsible for the deaths of two. He must trust you. That trust is the object of his reign. Yes, but what is the third? He is dead, after all. Celeste came in close. The third king? The third king took his own life. Because the boy allowed him to. Because the boy forgave him. Most people who come across Azen think they can deceive him. They learn their lesson much too late. And it's so expensive, the price he demands, in the end. What do I do? asked Mayor Valk. The boy knows who I am. I cannot go near him. I mean, not even the knit cap and the mittens are enough to protect me from him. Let him go, insisted the one mother. Let him go. He will do what he is excellent at doing. He will defeat this man. And this much more swiftly and much more certainly than you and a dozen mayors could help to do. All right, Mayor Volk conceded, nodding solemnly. I will listen to you. I will leave. Yes, leave the king of the Northwood for now. He'll come to you soon enough. As he makes his way, however slowly and decidedly, to every person throughout the Northwood, as he has me. Mayor Volk delicately inquired, Please do tell me how did the king of the Northwood approach you? I don't know if I should, replied the one mother. Please, I'm hungry for the knowledge. Well, Celeste lowered her head, then confided in him. I had to demonstrate my confidence in the boy. 
as ever, everyone does. Suicide is not too high a price to be paid for by some. He told me to kill a man. No one I knew, I assure you. A pilgrim. No one of consequence, really. A humble man without an education and without a pedigree. And you killed him? inquired Mervok. I had no qualms killing him, it is true. Mervok did not say a word. He stood, gathered himself, then disappeared amidst the shadows and exited the house and was gone. As for the one mother, she simply looked on as the boy played with the drunken man. The boy did not demand Celeste's life. No, the boy took something else, took something she valued more. He took her integrity. She was totally in debt to him now, more so even than the god she swore an oath of fealty to. It was dawn the following day when Azen and t said to Sharon, I must show you something. Come with me. And the boy with the nightcap and mittens took Sharon by the hand. They made their way haphazardly through the village of Bloody Tunic, dodging pilgrims and saints and devotees being summoned by a clanging bell for morning prayer. What are you doing? demanded Sharon, following, staggering behind the boy, slurring his words. Why don't you tell me what this is about? Will you love me no matter what I've done, father? Charon debated how he should answer. He wanted to gain his trust. That was the truth. It would serve the man's purpose as well. But what had the boy done? He was still conflicted with what to say when the pair entered a darkened house with the shutters and doors closed and sealed tight. It was a good thing Charon said nothing. For once he was inside the cloistered house and his eyes adjusted, he was able to see the prone figure of a female teen on the floor. What's this here? necessitated Charon, his voice grating. What have you done? This is Mother. Don't you recognize her? I called in a favor, and I have done you of service, Father. How's that? asked the man. He was trembling. His stupor was fading fast. He'd have to leave quickly in order to find more alcohol and restore his drunken state. He was not uncomfortable around the dead. He did not want a body count to be what determined who was the stronger in the relationship. She had nothing but that bad things to say about you. Only bad things. I could not sit by and watch and listen as she insulted you so. So I had her killed by someone who promised me he could. I did not believe he could do it, but he proved me wrong. Charon trembled violently. He knelt down and lifted the team's limp hand and felt for a pulse. Convinced she was dead, he let the arm drop. Aren't you happy? asked the boy. Do you want to hear what she had to say about you? Charon shook his head. What makes you think this girl is your mother? The boy was outraged. I don't make mistakes. I have not once made a mistake. I asked her if she was my mother. She replied, saying that she was. Well, I think you made a mistake here, replied the man. He solemnly climbed to his feet. She didn't believe in me. She should have believed in me. Like you don't believe in me. Do you believe in me? Charon was glad the lack of light hit his face. He might be able to lie to the boy, but were his face visible, it would betray him. Of course, I assure you, I, I, assure you, I believe in you. You certainly know the truth. Charon stammered. I'm guessing you are a smart boy, a brave boy. I'm telling you, you are my son. I'm assuming you trust me, and I trust you. 
I think there's nothing that can divide the two of us. Finally, he slid his hand into the man's and squeezed tight. I do love you, Father, the boy confided in him. And I, I you, I am telling you, replied Charon. Charon stumbled in the darkness, past the encumbering boy, in the direction of a chest that had a thick quilt folded on top of it. He grabbed it by the corners and unfurled it. He then returned to the corpse. I'm assuming we wait till nightfall and take the body, most assuredly, into the forest. Certainly bury it there. Make sure not one soul sees us. Charon was not Charon was so distracted that he did not know he had suffered a knife wound, not until his heart fluttered and a warm fire expanded within his body from his ribs across his chest and back. What has happened? asked Charon. Clawing at the wound, he stumbled and fell back beside the body of the teen. I've been stabbed. Let me have a look, insisted Azen. You're right, you got stabbed. What? How is that so? asked Charon. But I can fix it, swore the boy. You want me to fix it? How is it I've been stabbed, demanded the man. There's three people in this room, and one of us is dead. That leaves you and me. I didn't do it. I couldn't do it. Do you believe in me, your son? What? growled the man. You must have done this, not me. Do you believe you did this to yourself, queried Azen? Charon did not answer. He tried to catch Azen's eye. He catched the boy in a lie, but could not. Azen chirped excitedly. He climbed onto the prone body of Charon, his knees digging forcibly into his gut. I got this, assured the boy. Don't you worry, I will save you. I got this. And the boy planted himself firmly over the stab wound, stuck his mittened hand in his mouth, removed the glove with his clenched teeth, then thrust his finger into the wound. What is it? What's going on? Charon, terrified, had to know. The man thought he was close to death, that he would soon fade away. He should fight the boy off. But one minute passed, then another. Instead of the life force fading from him, he grew stronger, like a flame fed copious amounts of oxygen. I don't believe it. I'm alive. Charon smiled. It was clear the boy had saved his life. I have been spared. You spared my life. For that I am most grateful. You're most clumsy. Around knives, that is for sure. That's the truth. Yes, replied Charon. Most clumsy, certainly. Should not be trusted around knives. You got that right. A half hour passed. With the two holding one another tight in each other's arms. Silent, but not yielding. Only clinging to one another tightly. Just tell me this, father, demanded Azen. Charon let the warmth and the throbbing overtake him, like the ebbing tide of a warm bath. What is that, my son? asked Charon. You know the truth, more than I do. I'm notorious for not knowing the truth. I'm getting to think there's no knowing the truth in the Northwood. What is it you ask of me? queried the man. Did you kill mother for me, or did I? It's all shadowy and dark. Please spell it out for me. It was me who killed your mother, confided Charon. She was most disappointed with you. I tried to make her come around, to show her she was mistaken, but in the end, she refused. It was a good thing I killed her, because otherwise she would not have stopped till she killed the two of us. 
Azen took Sharon's hand and smiled. There, I thought that was the truth. You know I'm cursed. I don't see things as they are, only as they might be. I won't lose you. With you by my side, you can guide me. I'm so grateful I found you. The two embraced, and Sharon smiled. Then, the memory intruded violently into his head of himself, having been brought here by the boy, to the living girl, the crying girl bound to a chair, of himself being given a knife and having killed the girl, of having stabbed himself. I have something you want. All the men who yearn to rule the world, when the time is right, come to me. Charon shook his head. What was true anymore? The North would, and the world, raisins to give. Both would be Charon's. If the boy trusted him implicitly, Charon would convince the boy that he loved him. Till he owned the North would, then he would refuse him and kill him. It had been a long night. Charon ached as the two had disposed of the teen's body in the woods. Though weary, he continued to be weary around Azen. Once inside the awakening village, the praying, singing village, the boy worked his way around and pointed at a man, a man leaning against the wall to a house, keenly observing the pair. See that man there? He's a former mayor. Kuvray is his name. He loves his God. He looks to promote his God. He looks to make his God stronger. His God is not the strongest among the gods, at least not yet. What about it? The boy faced Charon. The truth is, the boy told him what he wants and what you want. Well, the two go hand in hand. What is this you tell, talk about? muttered the drunkard. Tell me you want to own this, the world, the boy stated succinctly. The boy traced his mittened hand along a scar the, that ran the length of his arm. You're afraid of a boast? You forget. I'm from the North Wood. I've heard many things. Boasts are everyday occurrences here. Charon looked away. I want that. I do. Azen pushed his head into the chest of the man he knew to be his father. I can help you, like nobody else can. How? Azen confirmed, You need an army. Am I right? Am I wrong? I have an army. An army outside the Northwood. I knew I needed one where I had to keep my position. I needed one among those who hate and fear the villagers here. Do you want your do you want their help? Do you want my help? Charon swallowed hard. I need your help. I do. I'm not too proud to say that I do. Azen smiled, then stroked gently Charon's stubbly chin with his mittened hand. I'll help you, father. Charon did not know what to say to that. Azen waved as Azen waved at the man with his red shirt. The former mayor nodded. Kuvray is a, a man with a vengeance. Go to him. He will help. He is a key. He is key to you winning the Northwood, and certainly the entire Abyssine. He looked at Kuvray, the man in the brilliant red shirt, then back at the boy. Charon stood up, then staggered toward the man leaning against the house.
After the noonday sermon and meal, Charon followed the one mother on one of her noon sojourns. Nothing else the one mother did he found curious. In a drunken state, he asked Azen if he witnessed the same odd act once a day, every day. He asked Azen if he must investigate. The boy said nothing, only gave the man a length of rope. The woman led the man here, to this pit. What was contained within, he wondered. What was the prize? Who was the prisoner? What was it that the one mother feared more than anyone else in the North Wood, including her own god? Himself concealed in the brush, he watched as Celeste stood over the pit, conversing with the prisoner for half an hour, at times calling down threats, incessantly crying. Once the one mother departed the pit, in a grieving manner, Charon cautiously made his way to the edge and peered within. Charon stood over the pit. As he gazed within, he gasped. Within stood a scarred woman, dressed in a black gown, covering her head, covering her from head to toe. The woman said, within said, Well, I see you have come, for I have summoned you. Your sister knows that was my intention. She brought you here. Charon took a step back. What was this about a sister? I don't know what you're talking about. My sister? One mother? Charon stood motionless, indecisive, for the longest time. He took the length of rope he carried with him. He did not think he would use it. Why had Azen given his father the rope unless he intended for him to use it? He retreated, tied the rope to a tree trunk, then returned to the edge. You will serve under me when the time comes. You want to own the Abyssine. It's not possible without me. You will come back to me in this pit and release me when you come to accept your place beside your mother. It's tough to accept, but your ambition will compel you to come back here. I will wait patiently for you right here. Why don't I kill you right now? I assure you, you have no place in my life, mother. You know what has kept me alive all these years? I know weaknesses. I know your weakness, like I know the weakness, the weaknesses of all those foes who must, you, those foes you must face. That's reason enough to keep me alive, isn't it? What is my weakness? Queried Charon, visibly trembling. Candide spoke harshly. You say what you did do. I know the truth. What did you say? Do you remember that most dangerous thing? Oh, that's right. You were drunk. Do you want me to tell you? Charon collapsed at the edge of the pit, but Candide spoke with urgency. You have overstayed your welcome. Flee within the hour. Escape the north wood, lest the mares arrive and eliminate you and your promise. Speechless, terrified, Charon turned away and scrambled for the village of Bloody Tunic to recruit Zazen and run for his life. Kirchel had been Azen's very first recruit outside the North Wood. A powerful wizard, it worked, at, it worked for both, to serve together, to contain the influence of the people of the forest. Kirchel looked past the king of the North Wood, looked at Charon, the man with the hydra tattoo on his calf, the man he was determined to kill. Only after the threat of the villages of the North Wood was eliminated, its people put in chains. Charon and Kirchel and Azen sat on their horses. They had left the cover of the enchanted forest three days ago now, 
all for the purpose of increasing the number and the lethality of their army, all to defeat the one village that must fall, should all the villages of the Northwood be defeated. The battle for a golden bridle, and for the entire Northwood, would happen within a week. The three were on the, ro the rolling, wide-swept hills outside the walled city of Cleven. Behind the three was an army of 7,400, gleaned from many kingdoms, many offered by kings angry with and fearful of the people of the Northwood. Cleven would commit its army as well. Charon commanded beneath his breath, Come on now, hurry up. I assure you we haven't got till sundown. A horn sounded from within Cleven. A moment passed, and slowly the doors creaked open. Four persons exited, the king dressed in the finest of, attire, of attire, together with three distinguished generals. The four approached the mounted leaders of the multinational army. Both parties studied one another silently. King Bragfin folded his arms over his fat belly and smiled. Do you intend to sack my city? Let me tell you we can survive a siege for an entire year. King Bragfin looked over Charon's shoulder. What's that I see? The banner of the Crimson Griffin? How is it that the army of the walled city of Burgundy has joined your forces? Charon gripped the horn of his saddle. How long have the people of Cleven had a dispute with the people of Burgundy? King Bragfin shrugged. I don't know, since before I was born. And the difference between Burgundy and Cleven? Has once these differences been discussed, has there ever been the hope of peace between your two kingdoms? No, grunted King Bragfin, and there will never be peace between our two kingdoms. Never. Why? The Captain Clar, at the bidding of King Pelfrey, entered our village and killed my eldest. Nothing can excuse that, lest Burgundy be raised. You must admit you have a common foe in the North Wood. What if I tell you that it was at a mayor's bidding that your son be slain? Better to have a divided foe on your border than a unified one, don't you agree? King Bragfin gaped. It all makes perfect sense now. Charon dropped down out of his saddle. He stepped up to King Bragfin and slapped a hand on his ornamented shoulder. You, King, good King Bragfin, see my army, 7,400 strong, men from kingdoms that a few nights ago would have nothing to do with one another. That's right, the people of Mavis standing tall with the people of Leon and the army of Grendon coming together with the kingdom of Burgundy. Yes, even Grendon, who saw twelve of their mystic children slain by people from Burgundy, saw an opportunity. A powerful wizard also saw fit to bring his own army under my command. They joined my army to crush the village of village Golden Bridal of the North Wood. Charon touched his forehead to King Bragman's. Charon asked, So what do you say? Will you and your men join my army? We will, certainly, replied King Bragman, but one condition must be met. I must talk with King Captain Clare. Make certain in my own mind that the people, especially the leadership among those living in Burgundy, were not responsible for the death of my son. Oh, I assuredly know how to resolve that issue, I do. And so saying, Charon took a blade given him by Kirchall and slid it between two ribs. King Bragfin was dead instantly. The three generals from the walled city of Cleven were outraged. They wanted to avenge the death of their king, 
but found it impossible to strike out, especially when outnumbered by so many. They could not run back to their city without being cut down by archers. Charon wiped his hands. Well, that mess is all cleaned up. You may serve as leaders in my army, men. Most assuredly, you did serve the whims of one man. He could only give you so much, and he made impossible demands on your loyalty. No, I assure you, I will give you more than a plot of land and a vessel of gold for serving me. Why? Because I have my sights set on bigger things. Certainly not Clevin alone. No, most certainly the entire North Wood, and the wealth each village promises. The general shoved one another. It was clear that two were receptive to the idea of serving under Charon, while the last one remained loyal to King Bragfin. I am King Bragfin, declared Charon. Now a round man with gold rings and braided snow-white hair and the finest in clothing took his knife and killed the last man who professed loyalty to the slain King Bragfin. Charon came in close to the two survivors. Have your ar army joined mine. Kings and lords have reason to fear me. You do not. Now go. The sun blazed on the western horizon. The two remaining generals rushed back within their city and summoned the troops telling them what their King Bragfin had demanded of them. The men of Clevin swiftly swelled the ranks of the Silver Snake's army. The army of Charon was massing, and soon, very soon, it would be strong enough to compete for total control of the North Wood. Once what Couvray had in store took place, then the Silver Snake's victory was assured. The frog croaked nearby. How peculiar, observed Azen. He dropped out of the saddle, then approached the hopping amphibian. Ribbit, ribbit, what are you up to over there? inquired Charon. Come away from there. I see only a common frog. But the boy did not listen. He slipped out of his mitten and nabbed the animal. What's that there? asked the man, perplexed. Both stood, looking over the frog. what the frog really was. The creature had transformed into a man. The man was foaming at the mouth. Apparently he had ingested poison once his ruse was exposed. An assassin, acknowledged Dazen. Charon placed his hands on his hips. Well, we were certainly lucky here, I gotta admit. Eh? I suppose so, said the boy. And he slid his and he slid his mittens back on. That concludes the third installment of um King of the Northwood. Um the uh, fourth installment, the fourth episode, uh will be available in about a week. Uh thanks for listening and enjoy. <laughs>